you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to be at this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there. We are in, uh, I've lost count, some week of our summer vacation series. We've been in it for quite a while. And uh, summer is kind of winding down, at least in terms of the school year and school getting started back here soon. So uh, we've got this week in our series, and then our plan is one last week next week, and then we'll move on to something else. Uh, but what we've been doing the last several weeks, if you haven't been with us, is We've just been going through, kind of through the narrative of Scripture, just looking at some specific places that we read about in the Bible. So we started in the Garden, we ran through the Old Testament a little bit. Uh, the last few weeks we've been in the New Testament, we looked at uh, the, the River of Jordan, we looked at Bethany, and uh, this morning we're going to be in a place called Athens, or Athens as we call it in Kentucky. Exit 104 off I-75, in case you're wondering, you can visit for yourself. I'm just kidding, it's a different one. All right, uh, but we're going to be in Athens this morning, and that's where uh, Paul finds himself in Acts chapter 17. Um, but what's interesting about, did that just get a lot louder when I did that? Um, what's interesting about Athens is for Paul, uh, it was a little bit of a place of transition for him. Because if you read through Acts, um, Athens was not a place where Paul planned on going necessarily. Right? If you read through Acts chapter 16 and the first part of 17, um, Paul is going around and he's traveling to these different places and he's preaching the gospel and he's in, uh, before he gets to Athens, he's in Berea, he's in Galatia, uh, but what happens is there's some stuff that goes down there uh, and so Paul kind of jets out of town and, and he goes to Athens and we actually read about it in verse 16. Uh, what Paul's doing there is he's waiting, right? He's He's in Athens, not because that's where he planned to go, but because he's actually going on to Corinth. But they sent Paul on ahead. You wait here uh, for, for Timothy and Silas to come join you. And then you guys, you know, that's kind of your layover. Whenever Timothy and Silas get there on their connecting flight, then you guys can go on together to Corinth. All right, so Athens is a place of transition for Paul. And if I can kind of push this a little bit, Valley Creek is in a little bit of a season of transition, right? Some of you guys are new. I've seen your faces for the first time here this morning, uh, just so we're all on the same page. Uh, our, our lead pastor for the last 18 years, last week was his last Sunday, and so we're in a season of transition, kind of a, a layover period, if you will, right? But what I want us to see, and what I think we'll see from the text this morning, is that even these seasons, or these seasons of transition these kind of layover periods or, or waiting periods are still places for us to engage, right? Because what we're going to see is that's exactly what Paul does in Athens, right? And, and so for us as a church, I feel confident saying this because I think if, if Pastor Scott was still here, he would say this to you this morning, is that, is that even though there's some unanswered questions, right? Who's going to be the next lead pastor? When are we going to have a new lead pastor? Uh, what are we doing in the interim or in the meantime? Even those, those, those are legit questions. Uh, we don't, may, may not know the answer to all those questions. I feel confident that, that Scott would stand here and tell you that, that even though we're in a, kind of this season of transition and waiting, that the mission still goes forward, right? The church still goes forward, right? We don't press pause just because we're trying to figure out, okay, what, what, let's get our bearings here and then we'll go forward, right? It's no, the, the mission of the church moves forward. And that's what we're going to see in our, our text this morning. So let me read. Uh, this is a big chunk of scripture, but it's fascinating. All right. So hang with me. We're going to start in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17. 
and read all the way to verse 34. So it says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him, Paul, and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. In verse 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he, being God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when, all, when they heard, let me try that again. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So what we got here is, is Paul, right? He's, he's left Berea. He's left some of the, uh, the people he was with, ministering with, and he goes on to Athens, and he's just going to hang out there for a while. He's waiting for Timothy and Silas to show up. But what we see really quickly is that Paul waits a little differently than we wait. Or maybe I'm just speaking for myself, okay? Because here's how waiting usually goes for me. 13 seconds of waiting and I'm reaching in my phone or in my pocket for my phone. Anybody else? Right, like, like I heard this in a podcast recently. Um, we've, we're at the point in society where it's like if, if we're in a crowd of people and we're not on our phones, but everybody else is, all of a sudden like we feel like the weirdo, right? And so... Uh, what, well, the point I'm getting at, not that Paul has to, to worry about phones, but that like, we kind of live in this sort of, anytime we've got to wait or anytime we're in this sort of waiting period, 
we just try to distract ourselves with something. And what we see really clearly is that Paul right, waits differently than we do. Because he's at Athens. This is not part of his journey that he's going on. This is not part of, like he didn't plan to go to Athens, but clearly God had plans for Paul to go to Athens. And so Paul, being Paul, right, instead of being distracted or just retreating, he actually engages the culture around him. In fact, that's kind of the overarching theme this morning is just this idea of engaging culture. Right, what does it look like for us to engage culture? Because this is what Paul does here. Right, he, he's, instead of being distracted or retreating, he's looking around the city. And it, and it says in the verse, the very first verse, it said that his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Right, so even though Paul's in this temporary uh, place of waiting, he still says, this is a place for, that God has for me. I'm going to engage. Okay? And so from that, I've got four, four big ideas this morning. Right? The first one is this, that engaging the culture means faithful presence. Right? Engaging the culture means faithful presence. So when we look at Paul, shows up on the scene in Athens, says his spirit was provoked within him. Right? Your spirit doesn't get provoked unless you're paying attention to what's going on around you. Right? So Paul shows up and he's walking around the city and all of a sudden he sees that the city is, is full of, of idols. They're worshiping things other than the one true God and his spirit is provoked within him. And so it says that because of that, he goes and it says he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. All right, then he... Uh, so, so you've got the synagogue, kind of the religious place there. He goes and he, and he talks with some of the Jewish people in the synagogue. Uh, but, but he's not only present there. He says, then he goes to the marketplace and he's reasoning and he's having conversations with people in the marketplace, presumably a different, right, a different group of people than would be in the synagogue. Then it says he also goes on and he's talking with the, uh, the Epicureans and the Stoics. And so the point is just that, that even though this is a, a place that's temporary for Paul, that, that is not where he's planning on putting down roots and saying he, he's engaged, right? he's, he's faithfully present in these places that, that God has placed him. Right? It would have been easy for Paul to say, I'm just going to be here short term. I'm just waiting for Timothy and Silas, and then we're going to go on to Corinth. So you know what? It's been a long journey. I'm just going to rest for a few days. But Paul looks around, and he's, his spirit's provoked, and he, he moves towards the people. Right? He, he moves towards this, this community around him, right? And so if I could, could kind of bring this to, to us today, all right, if I could bring this to us today, if we're going to engage the culture around us, if we're going to engage the community around us, it will not happen apart from faithful presence in the community around us, right? And maybe to say it a little more forcefully, that makes it sound harsh. It's not harsh. Um, the story of, of Valley Creek, right, is that, at least as I understand it, I've only been here six months, so you guys can correct me after the service if I'm wrong, all right? But, right, but a couple, two and a half years ago, right, Valley Creek is, is growing, and to accommodate growth, and the decision was made that well, we could build a bigger building out in the middle of the cow field, or we could actually move towards where people are, which is how this campus came to be. If you didn't know, we have another campus down on the south side of the county. It's out in the middle of cow fields. Nothing wrong with that. I've got nothing against cows, all right? 
medium, medium rare is how I prefer them. So, right, but we could, but the decision was we could move towards the people, towards the community, that we might engage them and meet them where they are. So for this campus, right, this is our, our mission. Right? We could come here week in and week out and we could sing and, and the band does an excellent job and we could listen to a scrawny, gangly guy preach the Bible and that's all well and good. But if we're not faithfully present in the community around us, then like, what are we really doing? Like, why did we even start a second campus if we're not going to be committed to reaching the community around us? All right, so I'm going to make it really practical for us because there's actually an opportunity for us to do this coming up this fall. So Crystal, our children's minister, has been working really hard to form some partnerships with um, the schools in the community. And so right up the road here, we've got three schools. We've got New Highland, we've got Bluegrass, and John Harden. Well, she's formed some relationships with uh, the elementary school and the middle school specifically. And one of our plans this fall is to provide some after-school tutoring here at our campus for some of these kids. Now, here's the deal. That doesn't happen without help from you guys. <laughs> so consider this my plea. Right? I'm just putting it on your radar. You don't have to commit today, but at least pray about it. Maybe you're like, I can't teach kids. I get it. Me either. And I have four of them. Okay. But we need people to help. We're going to prepare meals for these kids. Right? We need some people to show up to and just have conversations with families and parents. We do need some people to help tutor these kids. If you've got a background in education, right, we could probably put you to use. Okay. My point is like, like we as a church, to engage our community and engage our culture, we have to be a faithful presence in our community and in our culture. All right. And there's, I'm going to give you a little hint. There's going to be more opportunities we're trying to work on uh, as well, but We've got some details to work out, and I like keeping you on the edge of your seat. So first, engaging the culture means being faithfully present where we are. Right? Faithfully present where we are. The second thing is this. Engaging the culture means seeing people, not just problems. Seeing people, not just problems. So... You go back, we keep coming back to the first verse here, but it, all right, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So the problem is obvious, right? Paul's in the city, he looks out and he sees these people worship the wrong thing. That's the problem and it's obvious to Paul. But notice Paul's response. Right? He reasons in the synagogue. In other words, he has conversations with people, right? He, he has a meaningful dialogue with people in the marketplace, right? He even has like these really intense intellectual conversations with Epicureans and Stoics, and we'll talk about who they are in just a minute. But my point is, is that Paul engages, he, Paul sees the problem, but he engages at a personal level. He doesn't launch into a rant, he doesn't post derogatory memes on Facebook, right? He engages people for who they are. Men and women created in the image of God, right? Because to engage culture means that we, we see people, not just problems. I'm not saying there are problems, right? 
But our job is to engage people, not just the problems. So if I could, um, again, kind of, kind of bring this to where we are today. Uh, I think it's probably fair to say that you kind of survey the, the landscape, right, in, in American culture. The one word that comes to mind to me is just the word division. Right? I think it's fair to say that as you look out over what's going on just all around us uh, in our country, like we're just marked by division. I think that's fair to say. If that's news to you, welcome to the party. Okay? I don't even watch the news, and I know that. And so my, my worry or the, the danger in that is that if we're living solely as citizens of an earthly temporary kingdom, right? If we're living solely as citizens of this earthly temporary kingdom, what's happening is we're being discipled to hate people that aren't like us, right? And, and just to be clear, make sure I'm an equal opportunity offender, I'm talking like both sides of the issue, both sides of the aisle, both sides of the ideology. I don't care what side you fall on, right? If, if you're living solely as, as a citizen of this kingdom, you're being discipled by the, whatever news station you watch, whatever Facebook feeds you follow, you're being discipled to hate people that don't think like you and act like you and believe like you. And you're feeding into that division, but I think that what the God of the Bible would call us to Right, is, is something higher than that. Right, we, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are not primarily a citizen of this earthly kingdom. This is temporary. You've been called to something higher. And so we want to engage with people for who they are. We want to see people for who they are as men and women who, though they may not think like you or act like you or believe like you believe, nevertheless, we believe that, that God created every man woman, child, in his image. We want to engage them for who they are. Right? Not just as some stereotype that the news feed would show us. Right? Or, or not some sort of stereotype that we would see on our, our social media feeds. We want to engage people for who they are. Men and women created in God's image in desperate need of a Savior. Right? And if you're being discipled by the the narrative of this age, that, that everything is about division, that it's us versus them, that, that you'll never engage with people that, that you look at with contempt. You just won't. Right? But the Bible calls us to more than that because engaging the culture means seeing people, not problems. Right? Now listen, here's what I'm, I'm not saying don't have convictions. Right? The Bible would just very clearly say there are some things you should have very strong convictions about. So I'm not saying don't have convictions. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that we should practice what uh, Russell Moore calls uh, this thing called convictional kindness. It's just contrary to what media outlets would want you to believe. It's it, it, is, it is possible to engage with people that aren't like you without being a jerk. It is possible. Yeah. And that's what we're called to, right? To meet people where they are, to see them as people, not just a problem. So, now that we're all uncomfortable, point three, all right? Engaging the culture means proclaiming the gospel clearly, right? Proclaiming the gospel clearly. And this is what we see Paul doing, right? We, he's talking in the synagogues, 
Uh, he's reasoning in the synagogues. He's talking in the marketplaces. He's having conversations with these Epicureans and Stoics. Uh, but what we see is that Paul, he wasn't just looking for a, a good conversation over coffee. Right? He actually has ulterior motives in his conversations. And that's to present the good news of Jesus, which is what he, he does in verse 22. But before we, we get to that, let me, let me give some context that makes it more interesting. Um, so the, the two groups that, that he refers to here, that he says he's talking to, are the Epicureans and the Stoics. All right? Those are kind of these enlightened, sort of uh, philosophically trained uh, types of kind of groups of people. Right? So the Epicureans, first of all, were um, basically... This is a, probably an oversimplification, but Epicureans would have been men who were trained to believe that uh, basically your own personal pleasure was the ultimate means, like that was, that was the ultimate thing in life, just pursuing whatever gave you pleasure, right? That was the Epicureans' way of life, right? Every decision filtered through this idea of what brings me the most pleasure, okay? And they didn't necessarily... Uh, the Epicureans didn't necessarily deny the existence of a God, but they thought that God was, if there was a God or if there were gods, they were far removed and not interested in what was going on in human affairs. All right, then you got the Stoics, which were uh, kind of, again, oversimplification, but the Stoics believed that kind of the, the highest priority or the thing they put the highest premium on was their own self-sufficiency. Right, Indi kind of the individual self-sufficiency, uh, we don't need a God because we're sufficient in and of ourselves. Does that not sound like where we live today? Right? It's almost like Solomon was right when he said there's nothing new under the sun. Right? You've got this group of people here in Athens that, that Paul's ministering to, and they're pleasure-seeking, self-sufficient, let's keep God at an arm's length. Right? So imagine when Paul comes crashing in with this message that says, uh, okay, actually there, there is a God. He uh, gives all, all things to mankind. He doesn't need anything from mankind, uh, but he actually gives everything to mankind. Uh, and actually he's not that far off. He's not at an arm's length. He's actually very near to you. Right? And, and one day, this God who created everything and who gives everything is also going to render judgment on his creation. Right? That, that message is a... Listen, we were talking about this at, at lunch this week. The gospel is an offensive message. Right? To say that in all your pleasure-seeking, in all your self-sufficiency, uh, you are not enough. Right? Th in all your pleasure-seeking, you have sinned against a holy God. And in all your self-sufficiency, you are still yet not a, sufficient enough to save yourself from the penalty of your sin. That's an offensive message. All the more reason why we shouldn't be jerks when we present it, right? Let the gospel be offensive, not us, okay? But the point, man, is just that if we're going to engage the culture, we do have to proclaim the gospel clearly. The good news of Jesus. Now that comes into some bad news, right? That we have sinned, that we have fallen short of God's standard for our lives. That's bad news that, that people don't want to hear. But there's good news, right? The gospel's good news. That even in our sin, even in our straying and our erring and our flaws and our failures, uh, 
that God loves us, that he sheds like mercy and grace on us, that he's provided a payment for our sins so that we could be brought into a right relationship with him. And that's the, I'm not going to go back and read it, but verses in 22 through 31, right? That's, that's Paul's message. He just, like a case study and sort of dissecting where these, the audience was, and he brings them to the message of Jesus. Because engaging the culture is, it's more than just addressing social issues. Right? Engaging the culture means that we proclaim the gospel clearly. But the gospel is to be proclaimed by more than just preachers and pastors. Right? If we're going to be a church that engages the culture and engages the community by proclaiming the gospel, the gospel has to be proclaimed by moms and dads and businessmen and businesswomen and coworkers and neighbors and friends and even enemies. That's how the church moves forward. Right? When, when just... Everyday people look for opportunities to proclaim the gospel clearly and faithfully in the places where God has put them. And so engaging the culture means proclaiming the gospel clearly. And then here's the fourth one. Engaging the culture means trusting God to give the growth. Engaging the culture means trusting God to give the growth. So I want you to think about this. Think about the Apostle Paul, right? He's sharing the good news of Jesus. He's going around, he's preaching, he's teaching, and he rides up here in Athens, right? Does this case study and sort of uh, dissecting the culture and, and giving them the messages they need to hear or, or giving them the gospel in the way that they could hear it and receive it and kind of confronts sort of where they are, right? The greatest missionary the world has ever known, the greatest church planner the world has ever known, the greatest theologian the world has ever known, maybe outside of Jesus Christ, like he's been more influential than any other person in the spread of Christianity. That's the Apostle Paul. So you expect when Paul preaches the gospel, you, big results, right? That's what we think is going to happen. Big results because Paul is good at what he does. Which makes the last three verses like fascinating to me. Look at this. So Paul preaches the message, verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among him were also Dionysus. We don't have to read the rest of it, but right, think, about, think about the progression. Paul shows up. And he preaches, the greatest to ever do it, right? And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that you're holding on to right now, right? He's, he's the goat, greatest of all time, Paul. And notice the progression. Some mocked. Some needed to hear a little more. And some believed. I don't know about you, but like that's, strangely refreshing to me that the greatest person to ever do it apart from Jesus, right? That the greatest person to ever preach the gospel, plant churches, preaches this message 
And not everybody responded. At least not everybody responded in the way that, that Paul was hoping they would respond. So I think one of the many reasons a lot of us are probably uh, hesitant to proclaim the gospel or share the gospel is because we just put too much pressure on us. I say, if I don't get this right, if I don't articulate it perfectly, if I don't uh, have an answer for every response that, that this person has, then, right, then I'm going to blow it. And this person will never believe because I'm a hack. And like, this is just not, it's just not true. Right? The, the Bible is pretty clear that it's the Holy Spirit that changes hearts. Right? You don't have the ability to save anyone. I don't have the ability to save anyone. All that we're called to do is just to be faithful. Where God has placed us. To proclaim the gospel clearly, yes, but faithfully. Right? Because saving is not our business. Right? In, in fact, after this, Paul would go on to Corinth. And eventually he would end up writing a letter to Corinth. And I want you to listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in Corinth. or He, he writes them to the, the church in Corinth. He says this. There's some divisions going on, and he writes, and he says, in chapter 3, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. When it comes to proclaiming the gospel, all we're called to do is just be faithful in the places and spaces that God has put us. In our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, right? Wherever God has placed you, it's that you would be faithful, right? The pressure is not on you to save anyone. You're just called to be faithful in proclaiming the message. So, right, I mean, as we just said, only the Holy Spirit can change hearts, right? So let me... Let me wind us down here with kind of four, I'm sorry, three. Three questions. Because I like to like give you things with handles so that you can take with you this week. That's my goal. All right. So I, I kind of phrase it in three questions to kind of help us think through this as we leave this place this morning. First one is this. How might you be more faithfully present in the places that God has placed you? If we believe verse 26, which I've referenced time and time again in this series, that, that God has determined the boundaries and the time periods of our dwelling places, then he has you where you are for a reason. Even if it's temporary, he has you where you are for a reason. So how might you be more faithfully present in, the, in that place? Maybe it means putting your phone down and actually having a meaningful conversation with someone that you don't know, ah, the horror, right? Maybe it means taking your earbuds out. Maybe it means just having some dialogue with somebody. Right? I, I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what the spaces that you inhabit look like, but what would it look like for you to be more faithfully present in the places that God has put you? What would it look like for this church to be more faithfully present in this place that God has put us? At least one opportunity is going to be to partner with these schools, which, by the way, has, has opened up some more opportunities that are, like, mind-blowing. 
Um, but more on that another time. Right, how might we be more faithfully present where God has placed us? Here's the second question. Who do you need to see as a person to be loved rather than a problem to be solved? Who do you need to see as a person to be loved rather than just a problem to be solved? Maybe it's a specific person. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're like, oh, why did you have to do this to me, <laughs> right? Because you've got a face in your mind, you've got a name in your mind. All right, who, who is in, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a group of people, right? Who do you need to see and engage with as a person created in the image of God rather than just some sort of stereotypical problem to be solved, right? Who do you need to move toward in compassion and grace and maybe forgiveness rather than, right, retreat from or throw uh, derogatory comments at behind the anonymity of your keyboard, right? Who do you need to move towards as a person and not just a problem? And then here's the third thing. To whom do you need to proclaim the gospel clearly, trusting God to give the growth? To whom do you need to proclaim the gospel clearly while trusting God to give the growth? Right? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Right? Who, who needs to hear the good news of Jesus? Right, where does a seed need to be planted, right? Paul was talking about some plants, some water, but God gives a growth. Who need, like, where does a seed need to be planted? Right, or, or maybe, maybe you've already planted a seed, and it's just kind of been a while since you sort of revisited that, right? Who's, who, who maybe do you need to come back through and, and maybe do a little watering? Or, or maybe you've tried, and you've tried, and you're just like, I've done all I can do. I don't know what else to do. To who do you need to pray that God would give the growth to? That's my question to you this morning. Right? To whom do you need to pray that God would give the growth to? So as we close this morning, the band's going to come and lead us, but I'm just going to ask that you would, I mean, yes, sing, but would you just pray? Right? That, that the Holy Spirit would bring these things to your mind? Right? Like how you might be more faithfully present? Right, who, who you might need to move towards uh, as a person and not a problem, who you need to share the gospel with, and just pray that the Spirit would give you the courage and the boldness to do just that, right, to step forward in obedience as he's called us to. And then maybe you're here this morning, and then when he, the seed's been planted, it's been watered, but maybe this morning is the morning that, that it springs up. Maybe this morning you've never put your trust in Jesus. And if that's you, one, I'm glad you're here. And I would love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. What does it mean to trust in Jesus as your Savior? All right, so the band's going to lead us. Um, I just encourage you to pray. Right? And if you need to respond, you're welcome to come pray at the altar. You can come see me. I'll be down here down front. If you want to talk after church is over, that's fine, right? 
We want to respond as the Lord would have us to respond. All right, so would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning, and we are grateful that uh, we just talk about this idea of what it means to engage the culture around us. That, Lord, we see that first and foremost in the example of Jesus, who, who left the, the majesty and the glory of heaven and stepped into the mess of this world. He moved towards us. And so, Lord, as his church, as members of his church, as followers of Jesus, help us to respond by also moving towards the people around us. So, Lord, help us to consider what does it look like for us to be more faithfully present in this place that you've put us. Lord, help us to consider who are the people that we need to to love and to move towards in, in compassion and grace and mercy and kindness rather than just lobbing grenades at from a distance. And then Father, help us to help us to be faithful to just be conduits of the gospel. Lord, we, we have received the good news of Jesus. We've responded to the good news of Jesus, but not so that it would just stay with us, but that it would go through us and out to the people that you've put in the places and the spaces that we inhabit. And that can be a daunting thing for us to try and share that message because we do put the pressure on ourselves, Lord. We do. But Lord, remind us that it's you who saves, it's you who gives the growth. And so help us just to be faithful to do what you've called us to do, to trust that you will give the growth. Help us to plant, help us to water. And we pray, Father, that you would give the growth here in this room, here in this community. We pray that you would do that. And then, Father, if there's one here this morning that maybe they've never responded to the good news of Jesus, they've never put their trust in you, I pray that you would, that you would prompt their, their spirit this morning, that they would respond in faith, obedience. Lord, I pray that they would move, that they would move towards you as, as you have first moved towards them. So, Father, we love you, we praise you, and we pray, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.